Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. subtitle about the idea that uh, uh, there's no foundation uh, to one's faith if if they are considering this to be God's fault. So that's the whole lesson all summarized, basically, except for the answers. Um, and we were talking about this at length. Um, as I said uh, last week, there was a famous preacher that we'll talk about a little more today, uh, Charles Templeton. But uh, after he had lost his faith because of the horrible, horrific things he had seen during, during World War II, he came up with the idea that there's two questions that prove that either 
Well, I think he was trying to prove that really there there is no God or that God is not as he presents himself. And I'm not sure which, because uh, I can't, I don't do, do not understand what he was thinking. But he came up with two very important questions: Why is Jesus of Nazareth the only way to God the Father? And we've been talking about that question. The second question is: How can a God of love permit this world to continue in such suffering and pain? And that's the last question that we'll deal with today. But I want to wrap up on the first question because these things are tied together. Just as he put two questions here, he really knows that they they have to be understood together. Uh, And they're not miles apart. It all, it all comes down to the same exact thing. The problem he had was that he had no foundation to his faith. And I'm not sure it was ever the faith, the faith once delivered by the apostles. That's the foundation. So if we start there, we can do much better as time progresses in our own lives. But many times, many people are cut short before they ever get a chance to experience that. And I'm afraid that was his problem. So today, as we were concluding on question one, why is Jesus of Nazareth the only way? We, we explored many, many things. And we also find that the Bible, of course, the Old Testament and the New declares it. Now, a declaration is not the same thing as an answer to a question. A declaration is something that God has said concerning a certain subject, such as the Messiah, and you either believe it or or you don't. And to be a righteous Jew, you were awaiting the Messiah. And you knew that until he came all of the provisions that God had spoke about, the, the rewards and the punishments, would not yet fall upon the first covenant people. So uh, we've, we've looked at these things. But we find within the Bible that the, the Lord Jesus himself declares it in John 14, 6. And... Uh, the apostles and the evangelists declare it into all the world in the first century. And the Lord's church declares it. Each time that the Lord's church assembles around the table of remembrance, the Lord's Supper, they make the declaration that Jesus is the only way to the Father. By the way, Jesus said in John, uh, in the passage in uh, John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father unless by me. And friends, that is a statement that is hard to argue. If you can, if you can argue with the words of Jesus, remember, 
he is recording the very statements that he heard in heaven. This is the way of God. This is the, the if if you want to if you want to look at it this way, this truly is the grace of God, which means this is how one is saved through Jesus. This is the definition of grace. Forget the the, the man-made ones because they're they're covered with flowers and they might smell good. But this is the truth of what grace truly is. He is, that is Jesus, the sufficient Savior. He is the sinless Savior. He is the Lamb of God, worthy of all praise and worship. Read Revelation chapter 5. He is the Son of God. And, friends, within the faith of Christ and his, and his fellowship, our boasting is in Him and never in ourselves. Because we understand that He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to live without uh, time without end in the kingdom of God. Why is he the only way? <laughs> well, we could spend hours on this topic, but I'm going to tell you, I believe you will spend the rest of your life on this topic, exploring the depths of this great truth. Christendom, in many ways, has forgotten the Christ. And that's why so many doubt the necessity of Jesus of Nazareth and what it really means. The theme of the Bible is that man needs a Savior, and only Jesus of Nazareth is able. Revelation 5 makes it clear. Who is worthy? Who is worthy to do what was necessary to redeem man back to God's presence? Only through him. So I believe that covers the topic well enough at this point uh, for us to move ahead with the question number two. Question number two is... is more thought about, I think, than question number one. Because people use question number two, which is, how can a God of love permit this world to continue in such suffering and pain? They use this question as a declaration of their own, saying that this is cannot be a logical thing. This cannot possibly be true that a loving God, because the Bible says God is love, but God is more than love. He's, he's everything. But nonetheless, it does say he is love, and in that we need to understand it. So they believe this dismisses either the idea that there is a God at all, or that he is a God of love, that he, he couldn't possibly be and allow these things. Well, this is the question. 
and it and it uh, it it has posed the other statement that we hear all the time: Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, because that doesn't seem like the way that God would want things to be. And if we read the Bible in its entirety, the oracles of God will find that if, if you can find anywhere in there that would promote the idea that God wants the carnage that we see in the world, uh, that in some way this pleases him, or that he set this all of this in motion just uh, for his entertainment, then uh, we need to look at it. But friends, you're not going to find that. Because that gets back to what we talked about last week, that we do not understand the nature of God nor the, or the nature of man. Uh, because they're, they're, they need to be understood both uh, in the way that they are uh, given to us in the Scriptures. And you but even from our own experience. You won't get that genuine definition from out of, out of the world either because that's where things go to get twisted. That's right. No, no that, and the truth is what we're after, I believe. Because even making statements like why do bad things happen to good people and all this, what you're saying is I want the truth. I want the truth of this. I want to understand it. Um, and we all want to understand it. And there, but there is a way, isn't there? There has to be, or I would be wasting my time this way. You know, Neil, the sixth chapter of Genesis makes very, very clear that bad things happen to good people, and in this case, righteous people. You exactly. Know, a special, a special case to be, you know, sure, and a rare glimpse into, you know, heaven, or mm -hmm. whatever, wherever it is that we call where God is. But I was just reading that this morning, and that's that's profound. Yeah. Yes. All of the times when God's interaction with man, you know, through the scriptures. And I, in the Old Testament, we have a direct thing, but in the New Testament, we have God's interaction with man in in the most profound way, through His Son, through the Messiah. That is God's interaction with man. This isn't God somewhere a long ways away doing something else. And that's why we study these things, and that's why we, we look at uh, the question of how, how can a God of love permit this world to continue in such suffering and pain. And this reaches out and touches many people in many, many different ways. And I don't, I can't criticize anyone for feeling bad about things that happen to good people or things that happen to innocent people, uh, worse yet. Innocent people being harmed by others. But the question is, is it God that harmed them? Or should he have stopped them is more the question. Now, the reason we think that God should stop every bad thing is because we don't have an uh, understanding of the nature of God and the creation of man and the sovereignty of man as a, a creation. Uh, God has given free will. 
uh, man's free will will not be violated by God. We find this all the way through the scriptures. They have a choice. Each soul that has brought into this world has a choice and has great has free will as a wonderful gift from God, which elevates, which makes the true God of the Bible much, much more powerful and glorious than any of the man-made gods that that uh, the denominations have came up with, or other other groups naming God in other ways. The true God is one that gave his creation, man, free will, which is actually an attribute of God, isn't it? It is. Now, let me ask you a question before we get started on this. Is God the author of wickedness and bad behavior? Can you find in the Bible anywhere that this is put forth? Now, has God sent his people to fight uh, battles with others? Yes. But if you'll notice, is those other people have departed from God's ways and and were uh, afforded all of the issues. Uh, I would challenge you to read the account of um, Jacob um, as he came into the promised land and all of the, uh, uh, the battles that, that ensued uh, even before they got there and then as they crossed the Jordan. You'll find that God speaks of the people that they are to destroy and utterly destroy as being God has dealt with them and given them opportunity to do the right thing and they have rejected him. So is there a reason? Yes. You have to get back to defining what is good and what is evil. That's right. Because utter, utter destruction, you know, I, I think about the, those passages in Revelation about the people looking, looking, you know, from afar at Jerusalem at how horrible the destruction of the of the temple and the city was, but how God looked at it and how wonderful it was for what was actually happening that wasn't seen. That's right, and that's a good point to make at this time because um, our definitions of good and evil fall a little short of the mark, I'm afraid, usually. Uh, and we've got things a little bit Twisted. It seems like the longer we live, sometimes the more off we get. Uh, if if we are not careful, we need to keep coming back to the source of the true meaning of things. And that's that's a good point. Um, <clears throat> if we destroy our neighbor's property, that would be a crime, and it would be an evil deed. It would be a law- lawless deed. If God destroys a nation that has rejected his principles that he has set forth, that is not an evil deed. Remember, he is the giver of life. The giver of life cannot murder. The giver of life can take life back from whence he gave. Not only life, but everything else the necessities of life, uh, the, uh, the, the land itself, 
people have to understand that there's there's a there's a, God is not just a word. God is the creator and the owner of all there is, the owner of what we call the universe, if you will. Many times in the Old Testament we find that the, the silver and gold are all mine, says the Lord. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Sometimes we get to thinking they're ours. But we have dominion over these things. We have access to them. We, ha- we can use them. But we need to remember the ownership. The ownership. And we live in a, in a country that you can own something, but when it gets right down to it, you really don't own it. You can't really own a piece of real estate in the country we live in because if you don't pay the tax on it, it will no longer be yours. It doesn't matter if you paid $100 million for it. It's still going to become the government's so-called if you refuse to pay the taxes. So that's not ownership. Uh, and, And that's how we're comparing things. We're thinking about that when we're talking about God, and but we should not, um, because he truly is the owner and he pays no one. But is he the author of these things? Man's free will. No. And let me give you an example. Just because you know, you personally know, of such things such as murder, rape, and and uh, all sorts of evil deeds. Does that make you guilty of those deeds? You need to question yourself here. Are you guilty of them just because you know of them? Then is God guilty of those particular deeds somehow? Now remember, this, this has everything to do with if you don't believe that man has any free will, if you believe that, that you are nothing but a marionette being uh, moved around by strings and everything that you say and do, God has caused you to do, then friends, this, this lesson has no part, will, will not be any good to you whatsoever. That's Calvinism 101, and that's in, in every city across the world. That's right. That's a much bigger problem than we think about it here. That's the basic point of Calvinism, isn't it? That you're not, it starts with the, the, with the first point, second point, all the way through the fifth point. Friends, we know this is not true. This is, this is logic. How can it be, if it's not our fault when someone murders someone in our community, how could it be God's fault? If he has given us the free will I'm talking about. And we're going to find an example of that, that free will here this morning. Now the reason I believe, the reason this question, that is question number two, about how can, how can a God of love do, allow these things, is ask, is because of a true lack of foundation in the lives of the men and women that ask these questions, that charge God with evil, or not caring, or being unloving just because these things happen 
But where, where are they happening again? Oh, they're happening where we live. Not where he lives. They're happening amongst us. They do not know the nature of God nor the nature of man. And people, people say that God allows wickedness to, to rule the roost in the world. Now, I think when we, when we allow, if, if we're going to take this, this issue to court, and someone says, somebody says uh, that God allows it, isn't that hearsay? To me, that's, that's, a, that's the definition of hearsay evidence. We don't know it for a fact. It's certainly not the best evidence. The best evidence concerning God is the very word of God itself that describes God's actions, deeds, what he likes, dislikes, the things he has done, and things that he is doing. They're all available for everyone to, to know. There is where we should find the evidence to accuse the Creator of such things as question number two does. So the Bible teaches us this. Now, let me give you the idea here concerning Mr. Templeton and why he would come up with such a thought and believe it. He was a product of, as we have mentioned, the word Calvinism. He was a product of a Calvinistic doctrine and preaching and teaching all his life. And they taught that God is involved in every move that occurs. Now that's where they normally stop. But you see, the thinking person out on the street says, well, thus he is also responsible for pain and suffering. And he just doesn't care. You can't have one without the other. That's right. The teaching isn't complete. There's no answer to it. They leave it open-ended. And believe me, friends, somebody's going to pick it up and give you the true definition. Why should I care about God if he would do and be such a one as this? Well, of course, we know this is error, don't we, from the scriptures themselves. Um, the true nature of God needs to be explored. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to look at, well, it's not the first account, because the first account of God's nature, I guess, would be in creation, but, and the things that he says about creation. But in chapter 4 of Genesis, we'll start about verse 6 uh, through 10. Now, this is after... Adam and Eve had sinned and they were put out of the Garden of Eden. Now they are in their own own area outside and they are uh, they've had uh, uh, two children, Cain, the oldest, and Abel. And in the passing of time, and, and friends, uh, I think uh, a good deal of time could have passed here. Matter of fact, I'm quite certain of it. We find in verse 6, And Jehovah said to Cain, 
why art thou why art thou angry and why is thy countenance fallen so god is speaking to cain noticing that he is he seems stricken with with uh, dismay his countenance has fallen as the scripture says here as the old english says actually we understand what that means. You ever seen people look like? Well, of course. We, we see this all the time. Uh, the ex- expression on their face and their actions, their body movements, and things of this sort. So God is concerned with Cain, isn't he? I believe he is. Now, before this happened, of course, Cain and Abel had brought an offering to to God, and their offerings were brought. Abel's offering was appreciated. It was uh, it was beyond the so-called requirement. But Cain's offering, God did not approve of. He did not look upon it. In other words, he disapproved with it, and this caused Cain an issue. So God speaks to Cain in this way, and this is this is so important for us to know, because this is the the true nature of God dealing with the nature of man here. And God says to Cain, "If thou dost well," and He's speaking of all things, but certainly the offering. The offering was not presented in the spirit. As it, as it should have been, apparently. But, he's saying this, if thou dost well, will not thy countenance look up with confidence? And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be its desire. See, this is a warning. God is saying, this attitude you have is going to bring sin into your life. And sin wants you. That, that's the desire. But he's a definitely, a, a, a definitely in control of this because God says this to him, and thou shalt rule over him. In other words, he's talking about the tempter here. The devil, if you will, is waiting at the door because the attitude of Cain is bringing him into the, the, the realm of, of rebellion against God. And the, the desire of Satan is to have as much company in his misery as possible. But God says to Cain, and thou shalt, Rule over him. Now, to me, friends, that looks like Cain had the ability to resist Satan. You think about it. See if it doesn't. Is there any way there that it looks like Cain has no way, no way out of his dilemma? Well, he's totally depraved. Yeah, is he? If he's totally depraved, friends, could God make a statement that he can resist evil? You see, 
oh, gee, I think this one verse alone just completely destroys Calvinism from point five or one through five and on. God is saying that man has the control over his actions. Every day we get up, friends, uh, many, many, many people get up thinking that whatever happens today is none of their business. It's not their fault. The things they do and say are really just ordained to be. Our, our potential to do good is equal to our potential to do evil, and, and the same is true of God. It's because yeah. we're made in His image. God has all the potential in the, in the world to do evil, but He chooses mm-hmm. not to. You know, I like how you put it, it's equal to. And, and that's the point, isn't it? Uh, now, we want to we go way beyond the equal point <laughs> we, on, on the good of what we do. But in fact, it is equal to. That's what free will is. Cain had the ability to rule over Satan. How? By his own actions, by his own person. To me, that is, that's incredible. That's incredible. Now, what Cain did was he gave into his, his temperament, he, into his feeling sorry for himself, or whatever the reason, he took it out on his brother and killed his brother and slew him, as it says. Could I ask for a little like, clarification, yes. too? Um, when saying, if thou dost well, will not thy countenance look up with confidence? And when talking about doing, doing well, in bringing it to today's language, kind of doing the right thing, but you're not just comparing doing the right thing, but doing the good thing. And, and on the opposite side, not, not doing the right thing, but doing the wrong thing. I, am I on the right You're on the right track, there, but, remember, but yeah, re, re, remember the context. The context is what happened when Cain and Abel brought an offering to God. Right. That's, that's the context. Right. So it's what we do in our service to God and what we do towards God. It's about doing more, not just doing yeah. barely, not just doing enough, but doing more. Yeah, and of course there, there was a certain requirements for certain offerings, and some would say, I've done all, all I need to do. Well, that kind of thinking can, be, can bring trouble. How, how is, is that how we feel about the things that we love in this world? Is that how we feel about children? We've done all we can do. I'll never do anything more. Well, no, because we're going to keep doing more because of it. This is the same, the same thing. You're on the right track, though. The word well is in reference to the things done well towards God. And obviously what he had done was not well-pleasing to God. God did not look at it. He wouldn't accept it. As, as an offering. So, how, how do we do it? Well, in, in, in the life of a Christian, in, in the world we live in now, and I think it's uh, Romans chapter 12, it talks about our intelligent and, and uh, offering should be all that we are. 
Everything we are and everything we have is dedicated to the work of God and to please God. That's, that's the standard now. So we don't have to worry about doing just enough. <laughs> we, we have it all. So, but that's, that's a good question you ask because uh, this is such an important verse and, and it, it tells the story. Uh, that man has a nature, and as Alex said, they have a nature to equal nature to do good or to do evil. And it's their decision, personal responsibility. And you know how we make good, good uh, decisions on anything that we do in our life? We make good decisions because we have some uh, foundation and education in the things that we're making decisions about. If we don't have any, uh, any ability or any, any way of knowing on a particular subject and we're faced with a question, how are we going to make a, a good choice? That's why the, the Word of God teaches us these things. We have people have total sovereignty of our own over our own actions. Now, has God... God points out many times how people, what people are going to do because remember, God knows the thing, uh, the end of a thing before it begins. So he understands, he knows we don't know these things at all. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we can see it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, experience gives us uh, an insight into different things and mm-hmm. an older you know person looking at the behavior of a child and the upbringing and we get a little glimpse of uh, God's wisdom through that and and uh, but Neil your point about the sovereignty is key because it everything hinges on that it all hinges on that and <clears throat> you could have almost ended this lesson <laughs> talking about Either God is in control of it or he isn't. That's right. Jesus said about his Father, with God all things are possible. Now you need to consider what all things might really reach out and touch. But when he limits himself through his actions and his words to do this or that and and gives uh, responsibilities to others, that's that's a fact. Don't don't think that intervention is going to happen just because you're going astray. Because you have a responsibility to your creator. So it all comes down to free will. Man has the ability not to sin. God given ability because we are created in the likeness in an image of God, we have this gift, the ability not to sin and to do evil things. But you know what, it, what the issue is? We need to want to do what is right. There in, the, in Isaiah, there are a number of uh, um, scriptures in Isaiah that speaks of the nature of the Messiah. And in a couple of places it says he knew to do right. 
He knew to do right towards God. You see, the idea, of, you want an example of, of, of this in, in a nutshell, it's the example of Jesus of Nazareth, who was born with the, the spirit of the Son of God, but born in the flesh with all of the peculiarities and, and the nature of the human being. And yet, he lived without sin. So the example of doing what is right has been accomplished by a human being. All right? He's the example. That's why his blood is sufficient for our sins and your sins, the sins of, of the world, if accepted. Okay, <clears throat> let's move on. There, yeah, there's more examples, and I want to get into some of these other scriptures. I'm going to give you some examples of um, what God has said, what he has commanded, what he has taught through the, the prophets and through the leaders and, and, and through his word, if you will. These things are known to God's people. That is what we're required to do. Let's look at an example. First Chronicles chapter 13, starting with verse 5. Now, this is an account of something that happened to King David. And David assembled all Israel from Shinar of Egypt into, unto the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark from Kirjan, German, German. And David went up and all of Israel to Bala to Kerna, German, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from thence the ark of God of Jehovah, who, sitting between the cherim, whose name is placed there. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart out of the house of uh, Abendab and Uzzah, and Ortho drove the cart. So if you can get a word picture here, a, a new cart, because this is honoring the ark, the ark of the covenant, if you will, of God is sitting on this new cart. And David and all Israel played before God. They were singing and playing instruments uh, uh, before, along with the cart as they traveled. With all of their might, with singing and, and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen had stumbled. Now this is David's friend. He was a military man, Uzzah, as we call him. Um, what was that, as David did? Yeah, Uzzah. <laughs> Uzzah in the... What was that? <laughs> what was it, yeah. This was a, a very good friend of David. He was a military man. And he had a responsibility to be there next to this cart. Okay? He put forth his hand 
on the the ark to steady it because the ox had stumbled. What? He thought it might fall off the cart? Maybe? Something like that? Yep. Verse 10. And the, angry of Je- and the anger of Jehovah was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he had put forth his hand to the ark, and there he died before the Lord. And David was indignant Towards who? Towards God. For Jehovah had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God to me? Verse 13. And David brought not the ark home into himself into the city of David, but he carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Odom-Edom in his house three months. And Jehovah blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. That's, just, that's, that's the, the, the scripture, 5 through 14. Now we're going to jump up to, okay, well, the, the condition is that this man had tried to keep the ark from falling off the cart, possibly. But there's something that w- is not recorded here. The fact is that every Israelite knew that no one, ever touched the ark except those that carried it with the poles no one and the and the the idea was if you did you would die takes us back to the garden of eden doesn't it the day you take of this this tree you will surely die god had said it but people say yes but he was just trying to be helpful God doesn't need your help to keep... He's not going to cause you to sin just to help him out. Or you could look at it so many different ways. But what's the answer to this? The answer is found in chapter 15, a little bit further on. Chapter 15, verse 11. Chapter 15, verse 11 through 15. This is the answer. And it's the illustration I'm trying to make here about God's nature and our nature and the things that we do. And David called for Zadok and the priest and for the Levites of, of Ural, Asa, and Joel, uh, Shemaiah, and Eli, the Amadad, Amadad. And he said to them, you are the chief fathers of the Levites. Hallowed thy yourselves, and prepare yourselves. You and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of Jehovah, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Now what's he saying? They need to ready themselves, prepare themselves in a special way to do this work. 
we find we're going to find that this had not been done to start with on the first on the first attempt he david goes on to say for because you did it not at the first the first time when it was on the new cart jehovah our god made a breach upon us for that we sought him not after the due order in other words god had an order of handling that ark that had been ignored by both David and the priests, the Levites. They should have known. They should have said, we cannot just put it on the cart. We need to do all of these other things. Verse 14. So the priests and the Levites hallowed themselves to bring up the ark of Jehovah, the God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of the God upon their shoulders with the staves upon them as Moses had commanded according to the words of Jehovah. Now, friends, a horrible thing had happened. God had struck dead a man just because he tried to help. Now, that's the story that we get. You know, I've heard this story, but you know what? The first few times I heard about it, no one ever took me to chapter 15 for the answer to it. I had to discover that. And some would say, everybody knows you can't touch the ark, and he died, and he shouldn't have touched it. But there's a lot more to the story. There's a lot more to it. That's what I'm trying to say. King David had ignored the instructions of Moses, and so had the Levites. Yeah, they put it on a new cart. That was a great thing. But that's not how it's transported. Remember how it was transported always with the staves, very long staves and a number of Levites on, on the four corners carrying this. All right? Because they had ignored the sacred commands of God through Moses, when he touched that, that was the final straw. Yusa, being a Jewish man, knew to touch the ark of God was forbidden, but he did so. But the penalty of that, even though maybe well-intentioned, was death. So his family would have felt very bad about his death. And they would have thought many times about why it is he had to die just because he tried to steady the, the ark on the cart. Can you see how these things go? You can see, and now, friends, we live with this, these situations a thousandfold in the world we live in. Something happens. Something you can happens. Almost, Neil, you can almost envision him getting comfortable with the situation to the point where uh, he feels like... Um, He's been around long enough and with enough esteem that he's right. he's above the you know the mundane rules for everyone else. Yeah, maybe so. Talking about David. No, Uzza. Uzza, maybe so. But the result was that Uzza died, and the other result is that David learned an important lesson concerning God. It was his carelessness because he was the king. 
It was his carelessness that caused the death of his friend, not, not God. Everything God has said must be respected and remembered. Now here's the point, friends. If you don't know what the things that God has said and commanded and, and, and all that he has done within mankind, then you are in a disadvantage, a great disadvantage. Not that we're going to be touching the Ark of the Covenant because th- those things have passed. But you can apply this to other things, can't you? You know you can. Sure. You know you can. Let's, let's quickly conclude here. Uh, I'm going to, um, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 18, Um, the, the very first verse. All right, there was a proverb in Israel that says this. Um, the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And God says, as long as I live, this will not be used as a proverb in Israel any longer. In other words, it's not true. Because all souls are, are mine, he says. And I'm not going to read the whole passage because we're short of time. Let's skip down to verse uh, 24. And when the righteous turneth from their righteousness and practice what is wrong and doth according to all the abominations of the wicked that they doeth, shall he live? None of his righteous acts which he hath done shall be remembered, and his unfaithfulness which he hath wrought, and in his sin which he hath sinned, in them shall he die. So God has said, the soul that sinneth the soul that sins will die, but he cannot turn around and live, says God. But, but he can turn around and live. That's the point. All through this account, you need to read the passage for yourself. You can, you can know the truth, you can disobey God, but you can turn around and stop doing that because you have the ability to do so. Turn around and live says God. The son will not, will not perish because the sin fathers. The, the father will not perish because the sin, the son has sinned. Those things were used back and forth to, to try to avoid penalty of doing the right thing ourselves and making God look bad in, in the sight of men. God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. And that says so in Ezekiel 18.32. Remember that. In 18.32, God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. So, friends, it's just not true. Um, God does not allow these things for his own betterment or pleasure. And he says, Therefore turn ye and live. 
And that's the act, act, that's what we should say. We are out of time today. I haven't quite finished it. Um, we'll find a way of, of finishing this up today, but uh, or, or next week before we get into something else. But I want to share with you all these things, especially the scriptures. Read them, reread them, and find. And, and you'll come to, I think, a very good conclusion. So we pray you have a blessed week as God has allowed us to be granted yet another week, this first day of the week, to be busy about his task, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.